0: Welcome to the Spiritual Teamwork Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Crenshaw. Welcome back. This week we're going to look at one of the most misunderstood miracles that Jesus performed and how the early church fathers saw this miracle and what we can learn from it. You know, I originally talked about this miracle of the fig tree. In April of 2019 at St. John the Divine Greek Orthodox Church, in Jacksonville, Florida. But I've had some time to rethink it and expand on it a little. I also want to say that most of my study on those verses came from the ancient Christian commentary on scripture. And if you love the early church fathers, this is a great commentary to have. And I'll put a link to it in the comments. Let's get into it. Matthew twenty-one eighteen to 43. On his way back to the city early the next morning, Jesus was hungry. He saw a fig tree by the side of the road and went to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. So he said to the tree, you will never again bear fruit. At once the fig tree dried up. The disciples saw this and were astounded. How did the fig tree dry up so quickly, they asked. In this part, St. Augustine said, Isn't there something absurd about Jesus literally cursing a fig tree for not bearing fruit out of season? Everything in Scripture is to be understood either in its literal sense or in its figurative sense, or in some combination of both. St. John Chrysostom said that when such things are done, whether to places, plants, or animals, we do better not to be overly curious about the divine will. Don't inquire too far into whether it was just that fig tree withered, or you will lose perspective. This sort of question is trifling, so what St. Augustine says to do is, It has to be understood in a way that makes sense. And Chrysostom says, the tree isn't the point. So what is it? Today, the kids would call the fig tree a macguffin. A macguffin is a device or object that serves to trigger a plot, or in this case, a discussion about faith. The word macguffin was popularized by Alfred Hitchcock. And it's a great word that you can use to impress your friends the next time you go to a movie. So don't get caught up in what he does to the tree. Get caught up in what Jesus says next. Verse 21, Jesus answered, I assure you that if you believe and do not doubt, you will be able to do what I have done to this fig tree. And not only this, but you will even be able to say to this hill, get up and throw yourself into the sea, and it will. If you believe, you will receive what you asked for in prayer. The disciples ask, how this is possible. And Jesus looks at them and tells them about faith. And this isn't the first time Jesus has said this to the disciples. He told them earlier, and we can read it in Matthew 17, 20, that if they have faith the size of a mustard seed, they can toss the hill into the ocean. Jesus repeated this lesson because he wanted them and us to get it. He wanted them and wants us to understand that our faith is the key to everything. And through faith, we produce fruit. Our greatest example is Mary. One ordinary girl's yes changed the course of human history. We don't sing greater in honor than the cherubim and beyond comparison and more glorious than the seraphim because she exhibited a little faith. As Father Stavros Akrotirianakis says in his book, The Road Back to Christ, her yes was a yes to the greatest task ever given a human being, the bearing of God's own Son. The excuse I always give personally is that I'm not Mary, or I'm not Paul, or I'm not one of the heroes we have throughout the church history. But they were all just ordinary people. Father Stavro says again, in order for God's miracles to take place, they have to involve ordinary people demonstrating extraordinary faith. But there's a flip side to faith. One early church writer said, Just as it would have been better had there never been a tree at all than for there to have been a tree which produced no fruit, so also would it have been better had there never been a man of God than for there to have been a man of God who did not live in accordance with God. The flip side is us not living for God, but for ourselves or the world. In St. John's Gospel, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, you will produce fruit. In the Orthodox Church, it's what we call theosis. The more we remain in Christ, the more like Christ we become. So how do we develop faith and abstain from the bad? We participate in the sacraments of the Church. You know, Whether you're Orthodox or Protestant or Catholic, you have sacraments. You go to church on Sundays, you read the Bible, you pray on a daily basis. As Orthodox, receiving the Eucharist isn't the only regular sacrament. Confession should be done on a regular basis. Naming our sins takes power from them. The church fathers knew what they were doing, and we need to use the things given to us to help in our walk. Prayer for me is almost as hard as confession. When I came to Orthodoxy, I didn't really have a prayer life because I thought that if I got too close to God, something bad would happen. Over the last few years, I've started to find comfort in prayer through the guidance from my priest and from other strong men in my life. Another way we can develop our faith is through spiritual reading. The Bible mainly, but other spiritual books as well. At the first of the year, I went back to a practice a pastor had me do several years ago, and that's reading one chapter of Proverbs every day for a month. There are 31 Proverbs, so they line up great. So by the end of the year, I will have read Proverbs 12 times. And hopefully, it will have to sink in a little bit on me. You know, we can also take fasting seriously. Before we celebrate the Feast of the Church, we spend time fasting. We fast so that we know how to celebrate in the end. We can celebrate because we understand what it's like to do without a little, just a little. You know, I can't explain fasting here in depth. What we need to remember is it's not about us. It's about preparing us to be present so we can celebrate Christ in the lives of others. And what he's doing in our life. Scripture memorization. This is a tough one for me. I don't remember a lot of stuff. You know, I spent two different periods this year. One memorizing James and one memorizing the Beatitudes. And, and today I couldn't sit down and tell you exactly what the memorization was. I couldn't tell you all the Beatitudes off the top of my head. And I spent you know a couple of months doing this. But I know somewhere it's sunk in. I know that it's working on me because I'm trying. You know, it becomes readily available when the Holy Spirit needs to teach me something. That's what memorization is about. It's not being able to quote Scripture, it's about being able to hear God. After memorizing Scripture, I suggest memorizing short prayers. Prayers that are meaningful to you, or maybe parts of songs you can use as prayers. You know, I still have songs from my childhood in the Methodist church that still come up from time to time. I haven't been to a Methodist church in 30 years. But I still remember the little brown Cokesbury hymnal that we used on Sunday mornings. And I still have songs that I can sing from memory that we sang on Sundays. You can also memorize meaningful lines from books or teachings. I like the Desert Fathers because they always have something meaningful to me, but you can also use modern authors. Okay, I've given you the list. Pick out one or two things from above and start on it. Talk to your spiritual father or mother in your life and ask them what you should do. Remember this is all like rain on hard soil. It may take time to sink in, but every little thing we do makes a difference. You know, God looks at us trying. He looks at the effort that we're making, not our bad. He knows that we can't be perfect at first. You're going to hear me say this a lot. One of my favorite parables is the parable of the sower. I said it in the last podcast I did. As the seed of the gospel is sown, it lands on different types of soil. On hard soil, it doesn't take off. On shallow soil, it takes off, but it dies quickly. When it falls in the weeds that grow up around it, it gets choked out. But When that seed hits good soil, it takes root. It produces fruit. Some 100, some 60, and some 30. Not everybody produces the same amount of fruit. But we all produce fruit. What this parable teaches us is that the Spirit works differently in all of us. So we shouldn't judge ourselves based on what we see in other people's lives. God uses each of us differently, but he can't use us if we don't let him. Galatians five twenty-two to 26 says, But the Spirit produces love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against such things as these. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have put to death their human nature with all its passions and desires. The Spirit has given us life. He must also control our lives. We must not be proud or irritate one another or be jealous of one another. So the final question is, how are you doing? How am I doing? There's an early church writing called The Incomplete Work on Matthew, and it says this, Faith then causes one to abstain from evil and to do good works. The more you abstain from evil and follow the good, the stronger you will make your faith. The less you abstain from evil and the more you neglect good works, the weaker your faith will become. If you want a checklist of what a life-filled in Christ looks like, Galatians 5.22 is a list. I can't answer for you. Only you and God know, and your spiritual father for that matter. We all have a choice, and I hope we can all choose to remain in Christ. I heard it said once that when you have enough faith that you can move a mountain, don't be surprised if God tells you to bring a shovel, because the work is where the lesson is. Talk to you next week.